or negativities. Breathing in love and kindness. Breathing in love and kindness, breathing out all our negativities. Now that our mind's settled a bit, we can try to reverse that. So we breathe in all the negativities of all sentient beings. And we breathe out love and kindness. We transform negative thought into loving-kindness. So these negative thoughts don't stay within us because we transform them into loving-kindness and breathe them out to all sentient beings. We breathe in all the negative thoughts, transform them into loving kindness.
breathing in the negative thoughts and transform them into loving kindness. people that we find it very easy to get on with and when they're around we feel joy and happiness. We have others in our lives that when they're around we find tension and difficulty. And we have others that we're completely indifferent about their existence. We don't know them. We're unaware of their troubles and difficulties. what we feel today doesn't have to be what we experience tomorrow. I think we've all experienced that someone we've been very close to at some stage in our life. Unfortunately, later on we feel a distance between us. And also someone that's been very, very difficult to get on with suddenly becomes very close to us. People we've never known enter our lives and become close to us. So while we follow our breath coming in and gently going out, we think about this.
So it's basically our mind that's determining whether somebody's close to us or distant from us. or totally un unconnected to our lives. So as we breathe in the negative actions, transform them into loving kindness to all sentient beings whether they're close, distant or indifferent. If we think about sentient beings, all of them have been so kind to us. In previous lives they've been our mothers, fathers, family. People have looked after us in this life, been our teachers, helped protect us, produced the material we, that makes life more comfortable for us. Produces the food we eat. provide services like hospitals, med medical treatment, aged care. Create charities that benefit people that they've never yet, never met. So we breathe in the negativities, transforming them into loving kindness. So because our mind creates the world that we see around us, we have choice.
we can choose how we interact with the people that we come across in our lives. We can choose whether we help people or we remain indifferent. We can choose if we retaliate to somebody that says angry words to us or whether we respond with kindness and intelligence. So we breathe in love, breathe in the difficulties of all sentient beings and breathe out love and kindness. The more we think about people, other sentient beings, the more we realise how much we owe them. Sometimes even the person that seems angry to us is, is trying to help. Maybe not very skillfully, but they're trying to help. So we breathe in the negativities, breathing out loving kindness. As we think about this, we realise that all of us are totally interdependent with each other. We all depend on each other. All of us want kindness. want happiness.
So we breathe in all the negativities and difficulties and transform them into loving kindness. Every action we do we choose how we act, how we respond. So we breathe in loving kindness, sorry, we breathe, breathe in all the negativities and delusions and breathe out loving kindness. All sentient beings have been our mothers in previous lives. We owe it to all sentient beings that we treat them with compassion and kindness. that we make good use of this rare opportunity we have in this lifetime to deeply bring in the teachings of the Buddha to make effort to study to retreat the motivation for all of this should be to benefit those around us 
to advance our mind. So we can benefit others better and better. And now we'll gently come out of the meditation. But one of the joys of breathing meditation is that we always have our breath with us. So it's always a tool with us that we can use. So if during our working life for family life, we feel tension and difficulty, stress, we can just take a couple of minutes to step out of that pressure zone and focus on our breath. In every situation, if we're driving a car and we find that we're not responding to the people around us properly, pull over, engage in some breathing. And if we're, if we're working with our mind properly, we can lighten our attitude, we can let go of the tension. We can respond better to the people around us. We can have a cleaner whole energy for our working life, for our family life. So take a couple of minutes to have a stretch or whatever. Spiritual Education Group headed by Sandra and Community Coordinator and all the volunteers and all of us here. I'd like to present a very small token gift for accepting our invitation. And uh, please say this. Uh, 
Yes, generosity makes the world such a special place. And again, we we have the choice how we respond to everything. So if everybody's stretched or done what they want, I guess we can start a talk. I just thought I'd start the talk by quoting from my guru, Chiabdri Subdhan Zopa Rinpoche. He passed on to another life earlier this year, but still very much with me in my heart and uh, many, many other students around the world. One of the things he said was that practising dharma means subduing the mind, controlling disturbing thoughts. When an action or thought becomes a remedy to disturbing thought or harmful action, then that is the dharma. So again, it's a very powerful tool that we can have in our heart every moment of our lives. We can choose to be the remedy to disturbing thoughts and harmful actions. So if I've got my brief correct, I was asked to talk on events in my life that have led to change. And uh, particularly change in understanding the Dharma. And I just hope it's of some benefit to you. So there's no lightning flashes of inspiration that have changed my life. There have been times that have been incredibly precious and meaningful and have changed my life. But to really bring benefit, we have to have some mental energy, some volition from ourselves behind it. I grew up with a family that had every good intention for me, but for some reason I was not particularly enamoured with the society I saw around me. And uh, as a teenager, I was quite rebellious and... uh, difficult 
but I'd just like to tell a story about one day a policeman pulled me over as I was walking along the road and he just said, John, I want to talk to you. And I was very suspicious as to why he'd like to talk to me. He said, get in the car, we're going to drive. And we started driving off into the... It wasn't much country where, where we were, but into a quieter place of the town. And I was wondering what on earth was going on. Anyway, he said, don't worry, I just want to talk to you. Then we pulled over and he turned the engine of the car off. And he just said, it's quite obvious to me that you're behaving in a way that's going to be detrimental to you if you keep behaving in that way. And I was really surprised that anybody cared. That event had a huge change on me. I, I did actually think about what he said to me and uh, did stop a lot of the negativity, the negative actions that I'd been involved in. And I thought I'd mention that because it's something all of us can do if we're mindful at the time that we never know the impact a simple action that we do can have on other people's lives. A simple word of kindness or a simple smile at the right time can make a huge difference to other people's lives. And they haven't cost us much. So later on I was, I now joined the Merchant Navy and I was sitting on a tug in the off the co west coast of Scotland on a quiet night. And I guess it must have been a sort of meditation, but I was just thinking about the life I was living and I just had a thought occur to me that I'm going to go to India and learn about how other people live, not just India, but all the people along the way, just to learn how they deal with life. And it was certainly educational to reduce your worldly belongings to a rucksack with a few essentials and start meeting people. That really, what I'd heard about them wasn't right, it wasn't factual. So much loving kindness in countries I'd told, I was told were barbaric. So much help offered that didn't need to be offered. So much wisdom that I'd been told was a Western prerogative and didn't exist in the Middle East or the Far East. But there I found myself coming across astrological observatories that have been in existence for hundreds and hundreds of years, well before the West became interested in astrological observation. 
and it started to open up my mind. So while I was in India, I became really interested in Mahatma Gandhi. I really liked the way his spiritual action advocated political action too. So we, when we saw something wasn't right, we actually did something about it. That we could keep our lives simple and meaningful. And that we, yes, that we care about the people around us and work with them rather than against them. Rather than in competition, we can actually share. So it's quite funny, many years later, when I found myself back in India on a train, listening to some Indian businessmen complaining about life, that I could remind them about Mahatma Gandhi and he'd actually given them the solutions to life and we'd just allowed ourselves to forget what he taught. So I guess the next person that really inspired me in life was I was up in the Himalayas and not really aware of Tibetan Buddhism at all, but I found myself sitting in a coffee shop in Dharamsala and suddenly a lot of people started running from behind me out into the front of the cafe and I was, my first thought was what are they running away from but then somehow I realised they were running towards something rather than away. And the gates of the palace opened up that was about 200 yards away from me. I didn't realise it when I sat there that it was a palace. And the Dalai Lama came out in an open-top Mercedes car waving at the people and giving them blessings. I didn't know who he was. I'd heard about him, but I didn't know who he was. But I did instantly realise that this person was a very special person there was a very special energy about this person. And so my curiosity was aroused and I wanted to know more about him, who he was and what he was doing. So it wasn't immediate because I had always I've had a conflict in my mind between political activity and spiritual activity. But after a while I found myself in Australia and I heard of this retreat happening in Queensland and I thought, well, now's the time to go to this retreat and talk with the teachers there and understand more about Buddhism and Dharma. And I was delighted that the teachers really wanted us to ask questions. When we started asking questions, instead of trying to quieten us down, they were really enthusiastic and encouraged us to investigate what we were being told. And that was something, a completely different experience for me.
And it was at that time I decided that I was going to study Buddhism and take it deeply into my life. Later on, I was really lucky that I could, got an opportunity when I was in New Zealand to live with a, the first Geshe that came to stay in New Zealand and study with him for a few years. And these, these people are so inspirational to be around. Their whole life is study, meditation, trying to benefit people they come across. I think one thing that really stands out is that they're always happy. They always have a sense of joy about them, a sense of joy in their lives. And this is something all of us are able to achieve, that we can achieve this joy in our lives. We just have to take the time to listen to what they're advising us, read the books, study, retreat. And no matter what comes along in life, people can't take that away from us. And we can actually transform whatever happens in our life to something of power and joy and benefit, not just for ourselves, but those around us. It wasn't long after that that I actually met Gabby Thubman Zoparimpache and like his holiness, I realised I'd come across somebody that had thought about everything in the world much more deeply than I had ever, met, ever thought about it. That their whole life was completely dedicated, his whole life was completely dedicated to helping everybody he came across, even to the extent that after a Dharma talk you'd be walking towards the canteen to have some food in a retreat and he'd stop to bless the insects that were crossing the footpath. Everybody else was trying to charge off to the canteen to get fed before everybody else got, got in. But he'd stop and bless the animals, bless, the, bless them with the idea that with that blessing, they could have a better life in their next incarnation. And I think that's the most inspiring thing when you meet someone that is totally committed to thinking about others rather than themselves, because most of us, we, we're really only interested in what's going to give us pleasure at the next moment. But it doesn't matter which tradition in Buddhism you're coming from. There are so many practitioners that are completely committed to working for the benefit of those around them. They've managed to renounce all attachment to the pleasures of samsara. It doesn't mean to say they can't enjoy the pleasures, but they're not grasping at that pleasure. 
So later on, I was very lucky. I was now living in Perth, and I had the opportunity to bring several great teachers, or help bring several great teachers to Perth. The first thing we've got to do is actually take the time to invite them, because if we don't invite them, they don't come. They might come on a random action, but again, we make the choice whether they come or not, because we consciously ask them to come and they accept. So many great teachers have come through Perth, the Dalai Lama. Off the top of my head, I think he's come through Perth four times. And uh, every time it's been such a great honour to work with him and uh, just see his total commitment to other people. He's very keen when he accepts an invitation that you know that he doesn't want to make any profit out of this trip at all. He doesn't want any donation to be made to him personally. At the end of the whole visit to a country, he wants the people who organised the trip to explain the costs of what they've put on and explain any income they've had and any profit is then donated to charities that are nominated by His Holiness. So again, another being completely, his purpose for being here is to completely work for other people. And all of us have got this ability to invite teachers to come and to work for the Dharma, to make it more available for people. And I think when, the more we can set aside our own immediate needs, the more we can be less bothered about our needs and thinking about benefiting others it does produce a happiness in life. It does produce contentment. Sure, we get frustration, but uh, if we've been listening to the teachings, we can minimise how we react to negative energy around us and how we choose to create more positive energy. And I think the other thing that Buddhism that gives a lot of strength to Buddhist teaching is the lineage, the living lineage that exists within all the traditions. That when you think about it, there have been countless past masters and female practitioners too, so I didn't mean to exclude the many capable female practitioners that have completely committed their life to study, meditation, retreat, benefiting other people. And because they've done it hundreds of years ago or last century or in the last life, it means that we can touch that experience 
in our lives right now. What a precious gift. There are teachers that I can pick up a book today and read what they wrote 15 centuries ago. And that book is as valid today as it was when, when it was written. So just the strength of the lineage gives us a great depth. And we actually owe it to ourselves, we owe it to the people around us, we owe it to the previous lineage teachers that we do actually take advantage of what they did and bring it into our lives and bring it into other beings' lives. It doesn't have to be radical, it just has to be authentic. So I'd actually like to read another quote from one of my teachers, an incredible, powerful, clear female teacher called Kadrila. The nature of our minds is not suffering. There is a possibility of complete transformation to get complete happiness. Our minds are pure, completely free of everything negative. It doesn't make any sense to remain in this state of suffering. So within the Tibetan Dharma, there's a core teaching by our founding teacher, Lama Zonkapa, called the three principal aspects of the path. And he, here he talks about renunciation, how we can choose to set aside our attachment to life. And this can lead to liberation. And that liberation brings us great joy in our lives and gives us a great power to not just transform our lives, but to transform the lives of everybody around us. It is achievable, because I've seen great teachers that clearly have attained it. So that's the first principle, is to develop renunciation. And the second one, I've 
touched on earlier before with bodhicitta. So first of all, we aspire to become enlightened so that we can help other people around us. And then we develop a commitment that we are definitely going to work to gain enlightenment for the welfare of all sentient beings. And there's a huge difference between those two. It's like thinking about, I might go down to the centre of Perth and actually going to the centre of Perth. So thinking about making some effort and actually carrying out that action. So that's the second principal aspect. And the third principal aspect is the theory of emptiness that uh, all the different traditions teach with slightly varying emphasis dur during different parts of the teaching. But basically it's the teaching that everything around us is always changing. It arises due to causing conditions Because it arises from causes and conditions, it's subject to change. And everything exists interdependently with all other phenomena. This gives us the freedom that we can actually carry out what the Buddha teaches us, that we don't have to limit our mind because our mind does have Buddha nature in it. We just have to make the time to create the potential to allow it to grow. So that's the third principal aspect of the path. And I'm a little bit ahead of time, but I think I'll dedicate. So whenever we carry out some positive action, we, we should dedicate so that we increase the karma that we've, we've created so that we have a better karma so that through accumulation of karma, we can then really benefit those around us. So with that, I'll just read this verse of dedication. May the supreme dual bodhicitta that has not arisen arise and grow. May that which has arisen not diminish, but increase more and more. Yes. If people have any questions or anything that you'd like to talk about, if you'd like to ask about Mayana view, feel free to ask any questions you might have.
If anyone has any questions, Bill has the microphone, so please raise your hand if you have any questions. Thank you, thank you very much for your talk. It was, um, yeah, really, I got a lot out of it. Thank you. Uh, just wondering if you wanted to talk about your own journey with meditation and how that's been. Thank you. I think when I first became in, involved in Buddhism, there wasn't that much intellectual application of Buddhism. There's more a emotional response to the joy of the teaching and to the people I'd found. But one of the things I was very lucky at is that all my teachers emphasised that you really have to study, you really have to meditate so you're thinking about what you've studied. And slowly, we begin to notice that we're no longer the person that we were in the past, that our practice has deepened our understanding and improved the way we respond to people around us. And as, as was mentioned in the introduction, one of the things I'd really like to try and inspire people about is the great joy we can find in practicing Dharma. I think I've, I've certainly been guilty in the past of seeing my daily Dharma practice as a chore I've got to get through. Certainly at times when I've been really busy I've had that attitude. But it's actually when we do it properly there's a tremendous joy and energy that comes from that practice. And that's what enables us to keep move, moving along the grounds and paths. So I'm certainly not claiming any radical progress, but I certainly notice that progress is happening and I think it's something all of us, if we apply ourselves, all of us can progress. Uh, I think that's the important message. I'd like to encourage people. I don't know if people do make time to retreat, but I'd really like to encourage you all to try and make time to retreat, even if it's only for a couple of days in, in the year a couple of days where you're only studying Dharma, only contemplating what you've studied. Very powerful, very transformational. So if you get the opportunity, jump at it. I should add that uh, I've been very lucky because I think Certainly a few years ago I was 
a little bit lazy as a practitioner, but uh, because of the incredible merit that I've had in being able to meet some of these great teachers, they've inspired me and motivated me to actually put more effort into what I'm doing. And the biggest, biggest gain that we can have is when we actually apply what we've learnt. So when we actually do start caring about the people in the world, when we do make effort to improve life for people around us. And when we do that, I think that's a sign that we're beginning to get the practice. Any other questions? Thanks for coming to give us a talk. Yeah. Sorry. It's here, here. Okay, yeah, yeah. Sorry, um, I, I didn't hear what you said. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, so, so I just starting, I said thanks for coming to give us a talk. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I have a question, but this one is very outrageous. I think I don't think I want to ask this question, okay? But I will ask about the meditation, you know, what you want, meditation. One of the Tibetan meditation is you, 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 um, what, what you call, you visualize a deity, you know, yeah. Like green tara, but, and then it turns to light and then it enters you, you know, your body. You know that meditation you have? So it's not quite like that, but I can understand why you describe it like that. Uh -huh. So basically in Tantrayana, we visualize, there's two things we can do. We can visualize the deity externally but once we've been given permission from a teacher, we can visualise that we actually are the deity. And obviously there's an aspect of our mind that knows we're not there, mm. but by visualising the holy activity of body, speech and mind of the Buddha, mm. the teaching is that it helps us to accelerate our practice. What do you mean by accelerating practice? What do you mean by accelerating your practice? Yeah. Sorry, I'm not here. What do you mean by accelerating your practice? So ba huh? basically because we're making effort to become closer and closer to the Buddha, it becomes more and more part of who we are, very gradually. So I'm not claiming to have made any great leap forward, but I, I can certainly feel that the Buddhas are around. So in, in Tibetan Buddhism, we believe there are many aspects of Buddhas, Buddhas, Buddhas. One of my teachers once said to us that there are more Buddhas in the room than there are students. So basically the practice allows us to see the potential not just of ourselves as Buddha but everybody around us as being having that Buddha potential. Mm. Oh, maybe I can just, okay, I just asked further, okay, yeah. Just so, sorry. Uh, when I first came to um, Australia, okay, I come to BSWA and I move around too, you know. 
I was in High River where you are now, you know, for about two, two, two three years, I think. Two, three years? Yeah. And, oh, I don't know what to say this thing. I find when I was down there, okay, there was a lot of energy, you know, came to me, you know. A lot of energy, yeah. in particular, sexual energy arose, you know. I think the nature is, is it my mind or or is it the nature that I was oh it's tantra thing and all these things? Is it all okay? <laughs> sorry, John? <laughs> sorry to ask. Yeah, so I will I'll try and answer as best as I can say that as human beings we are attracted to any sort of pleasure and most of us sexual pleasure is the most powerful sense of pleasure we experience. But the whole purpose of renunciation is that we use that energy, but we're not attracted to it. We're not grasping. And that doesn't, that's not just, I'm not just talking about sexual energy, I'm talking about any of the energies that exist in the world that we instead of being a slave to the energy, we transform the energy and it allows us to elevate our, our mental position. Oh. So to really understand, I've still got my L plates on on this subject, but to really understand it, we need to take the time to find a master or a, a female teacher to lead us through the past because in every aspect of Buddhism there are so many false creeks we can get stuck in because we think we've understood something but we haven't quite understood it. So we, this is where we need to have the lineage that guides us and shows us so that instead of getting stuck in a creek we can back paddle a bit and get back onto the main river and make some progress again. Thank you. Any um, I want to know uh, enlightenment is it um, once. Could the mic a little bit closer, maybe? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, once uh, some reach enlightenment. Is there uniqueness amongst enlightenments? Or is everyone enlightened the same way? So the way I understand it is that there are so many different practices that individuals focus on that there is a slight difference in that they specialise in a particular energy, if you like, that uh, obviously the enlightened mind is the same enlightened mind with different, different individuals experiencing it. But the power of the prayers of that practitioner throughout many, many lifetimes has led them to focus on a particular area. So, for example, 
in Tibetan Buddhism, we have a medicine Buddha that we believe specialises in healing people and healing energies. And that's, they've developed that aspect purely based on their previous lifetimes, specialist practice. Um, yeah, so there is, there is difference, but it's... And, and it's just we, the same energy working in a different way. And just one more question. And should we focus on having that unique ability once we reach, try and reach enlightenment? It's not necessary to focus on being unique. It's necessary to focus on what our teacher is guiding us through so that we make the best use of the opportunity of receiving their teachings. Thank you. I think we seem to have um, almost come to the end of the yep. session now. And uh, so I think uh, what we will do is we will again pay our respect with three sadhus to John for the uh, very, what shall I say, insightful uh, uh, Dhamma talk from another tradition. I think uh, his, his Dhamma talk, I think we can see the similarities I think what the Buddha said was to f not to concentrate on the diversity, but to, but to uh, uh, look at the similarities. I think uh, Theravada Mahayana, they are both uh, two siblings uh, which have departed to two different sides from where the source was. Okay. So it is uh, uh, John's Dhamma talk uh, brought us to that point that we can uh, look at the similarities and uh, I think uh, there are a number of suttas where uh, Buddha has uh, praised the, uh, not the diversity but the uh, unity. So I think uh, uh, with that thought we will say uh, three sadhus to John to uh, pay our respect to John's uh, Dhamma knowledge and sharing it with us. Thank you to everyone as well. So again, as I started out, it's really important that we do come together from different traditions and work with each other. And uh, I think that what the Buddhist Society of Western Australia does annually with these winter opportunities in inviting people from all the different groups is absolutely fantastic. Most of you are probably aware there's a Buddhist Council of Western Australia where we try and come together, all the different traditions, and work out how we can best present Dharma to the greater society around us. So that would be really healthy to see more interest in how that council functions and grows. Basically, 
we're, the, we're only limited by the amount of energy that we put into our lives and the organisations we're part of. There's so many different people doing, putting energy into so many different areas. This weekend there's an AGM for the Federation of Australian Buddhist Councils, which again is all the traditions from all over Australia coming together and trying to develop a rapport with politicians and people that are in public service so that we can put forward the Buddhist perspectives. So, there's so much opportunity out there to share with other practitioners around the place and I think we will grow when we get this opportunity to come together and share. So my turn to thank you. Thank you very much. Yep.